Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of WTF Interviews. My name is Sir Royce Brialis, and I'm with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, brother? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Trying to keep the icicles on my beard. <laughs> it's getting kind of chilly out here in Chicago, man, but we, we are bearing through like we always do. <laughs> so, Yeah, also, we're pleased to announce we have a special guest, Lornette Vestal. How's it going, brother? Hey, how's it going, uh, Royce? How's it going, Raheem? Uh, pleasure and honor to be on, to be invited. Yeah, no, no problem. So uh, we kind of talked uh, uh, during the pregame about your uh, fatherhood experience or your unclehood experience. Tell us a little bit more about uh, being an uncle and also uh, what do you do for a purpose uh, or a living? Yeah, so... Um... My, my, I, I don't know if it's a purpose, but it's kind of, um, well, I, I guess it's kind of like a passion, but uh, I'm a social worker. Um, in the last several years, I've been working um, with um, veterans, taking them outdoors, connecting with nature. So kind of like outdoor recreational therapy is a bit of my occupation. Uh, well, it is my occupation uh, for the most part, but more policy work. So I'm not doing direct social work anymore. Um, so it's kind of a combination of multiple things. So policy work, programming, along with the uh, recreational therapy piece. So uh, I just say I take veterans on outdoor adventures. And my experience is being an uncle. Uh, well, I've been an uncle since I was two. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, you know how those families be. Uh, so, yeah. so some of my, oh, my oldest nieces and nephews are more like cousins than, uh, than nieces and nephews. The younger ones, yes, I, yeah, I'm more of an uncle to them because I'm like 10, 15, 20, 30 years old. You know? <laughs> uh, but but the older ones, they, you know, they, they might they don't even call me uncle or anything. They just learn it. <laughs> well, I was just gonna ask you, they call you uncle? Or no? Oh, not the older ones. No, they I'm just learning it to them. They, they, they got kids and stuff. I I, I got great nieces and nephews. Uh, <laughs> they they call me uncle or it, but uh. My older ones, they they we grew up together, so they're like, no, you just learn it. You like our cousin. You like a honorary <laughs> play brother. I'm like, I ain't no. <laughs> y'all don't talk to y'all mama the way I talk to her because she's my sister. <laughs> she ain't my mama. <laughs> I gotta check my sister sometimes too, because my older sister, because she gets since she has children only a couple years younger than me, she she'll start treating me like I'm her and her son. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm not your son, right? I'm your brother. So, <laughs> I know you got kids that's grown, but you know, me and you both got the same mama. So I, I ain't your son, I'm your brother. Now, that's that's pretty cool, man. Like how um I guess how was that growing up? With your nephew, your nieces and nephews are more like your brothers and sisters? Well, they're more like um, cousins. Um, oh, like cousins. Yeah. So, you know, we, we lived on the west side. Um, and since I still was, you know, one of the older kids around, you know, I looked out for them and stuff like that. But, you know, it was just family, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff, trash talking, um, play fights, uh, crazy stuff like that. Just, you know, struggling on the, on the west side of Chicago. So how did you get involved with like uh, working with veterans? Are, are you a veteran? Yeah, yeah, I am a, a Navy veteran. I served from 2001 to uh, 2005 
Um, I was in the, the Navy and I was uh, stationed in San Diego, California. I was on a ship called the USS Cleveland. I don't even, I think they decommissioned it. So either it's a museum right now or it's a coral reef for some fishes. So one or the other. And, and that's kind of um, how, when I, got, when I got out, part of my um, journey through social work was kind of wanting to work with veterans again, because uh, not every veteran, but some veterans face um, struggles once they get out the transition. Um, even for me going to school, I mean, even though I was 22 at the time, and mm -hmm. you know, I was kind of, my experience was different in two, two, twofold. I didn't go to an HBCU. Um, so most of my, my college is Northern mm -hmm. Illinois University, and it was predominantly a white school. So it's kind of double whammy because you had a bunch of you know Midwestern white kids from the suburbs that went to that school, and on top of that I was a veteran, so I had a, a, a different real world experience <laughs> compared to my peers when I, my first year there because some of them were like, "Yeah, mommy and daddy did everything for me," and it's like, "You said this is a Northern?" Yeah, yeah. And and I was like, you know, not only have I been on my own since I was seventeen, I'd been to a, you know been a, been to a war zone and everything like that. So um, even just even though I was only like you know four years older than than most of my peers starting at NIU, um, I had a, a world of a different experience from them. So I can only imagine what it's like for people who are ten years older or fifteen years older, twenty years older going back to college and it's you're in a class of 18 year olds not to say that you know 18 year olds are are, are <laughs> don't know anything or dumb or anything like that you know everybody has some intelligence it's just that even now at 38 when I think back my my 20 year old me I, when I was in the, in the service and just reading books and stuff I thought I knew everything how the world works and uh I think back now I was like I didn't know shit I don't know if we curse on this podcast, but no, I didn't know do, stuff. Man, oh, a, okay. Your audience. <laughs> all right. All right. So you mentioned um, going from two different environments. So basically from, you know, where you were growing up to, uh, to college is, it was two very uh, different uh, you know, environments. So did you have any culture shock going from one to the other? Um, so I would say the biggest culture shock was actually coming from Southside Chicago, growing up there, lived there my whole life, going then to the Navy again, stationed in San Diego, California, because they're two different cities. The only thing they got in common is that they technically are on the coast, except you know Chicago's on the coast of Lake Michigan and San Diego's on the coast of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, two very different things, but um, you know Chicago is pretty segregated. San Diego is sort of segregated, but a little more diverse, a lot of military personnel there. Um, so if you ever go back and you see guys with the haircuts, you could you point them out. I, I can point them out. They got their shirts tucked in. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're definitely in the military. Where's um, your <laughs> Yeah, yeah, basically you go to them. Like, oh, I know you guys are a bunch of Marines or like sailors. And uh, I, I know the look, you know, got the still got the razor cuts and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so that was the biggest culture shock. Um, just, just how different the, the climate, the, the people were. I mean, it was very mixed up, California, especially in Southern California. You meet, you meet people who, I think everybody's, you know, getting with everybody. So you get, you meet people who are like, my daddy's Japanese and black and my mom's Irish and Italian. And you're like, oh, okay, I don't, 
I don't know what who you what you are, all that stuff. And then it's a you know a lot more uh, a lot of Asians and that uh, over in, on the West Coast. So yeah, that a lot more Mexicans, le- less black people because it's, it's California. So very different from Chicago in that way because uh, Chicago half of it is a chocolate city, you know, the South Side and the West Side. I mean. I, I know there, it was gentrifying. It was gentrifying. Last time I went out there in 2018, it was, it was white people hanging out in Maywood. I'm like, y'all in Fred Hampton old neighborhood and the white people are over here. We're going to reclaim it. And we're going to do our own breakfast program and feed you all kill. Feed the little kids kill. <laughs> That's my neck of the woods, man. Maywood, Bellwood. Yeah, yeah. They're gentrifying your place, man. They, 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 coming out, they was coming out to South Shore too. They, so they probably got out there already. Yeah. I know um, there's a lot more uh, Mexican families in, in Maywood now. I think that's probably like the um, majority of the population now in Maywood. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So um, can you talk about your relationship with your father? Um, yeah, it, it's complicated to say the least. Okay. <laughs> um. So... I was adopted, so I have a biological father, and then uh, and then also a father through adoption. I was adopted at um, 12 years old. I did reconnect with my biological family. It was kind of like on some Antoine Fisher stuff back when mm-hmm. I was getting out the military, so reconnected with them. Actually, my my mom in Chicago helped me reconnect with the, the family, and um, I only, as an adult, had a couple of encounters with my biological father, um, but um my, my adopted father it was kind of one of those things where he was hard on me and then when I got older and kind of realized that um my mom was really one pull, pull, pulling the strings and he was just kind of like you know I'm a married man so I, I know how it goes you know your, your wife is like hey he, he was you like gotta do this huh he was the enforcer but she was like really the, the she was the warden he was the prison guard <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, so I had some resentment, you know, growing growing up and going to the Navy and stuff. And it was just like part of the reason was just like get away from him because he was always tough on me and stuff like that. Um, and I just, um, I mean, we 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 get along much better now uh, that I'm older and stuff like that. So um, even during the, this whole pandemic and stuff like that, um, he had lost his job. Because his um, bus company that he drove for for like twenty years went under, and um, I was helping out him and my mom. Since um, you know, obviously don't want to see your parents struggle and stuff like that, and they're getting older. So I think that's I think nowadays that's the most challenging thing. When I go, I don't live in Chicago now, so I go back every couple of years from Atlanta. The pandemic put a hold on some things, um, so now when I go back, I'll see them, and they'll be even older than what I remember. Versus like. When you're there, you kind of can see them and you kind of realizing that I have friends uh, whose parents have passed away, their mom and their dad. So I, I, I guess the older you get, you start thinking more about mortality. And, and it's very different from, you know, when I was 18, 19, where, you know, I just couldn't stand him and just thought he was kind of an, was a, was a jerk. Um, but um, I mean, he, he cared for me in his own way, but I, I I got older and realized that it was really my mom kind of being that driving force. Uh, so I, I wonder if it was if it was different how how that would be. 
but it left a strain. I mean, we, we get along um, now, except as an adult, much better, but as a teenager, yeah, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> okay. And so I had a little side job working at Track Auto. I don't even have that store anymore. <laughs> um, but he, he was the one who gave me that job. He, 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 he still works in the auto part industry too. Um, so he had a buddy there and you know he hired me on the spot and I worked there, I think my last couple of years of high school, helped me pay for some stuff for prime and all this other stuff. I had a nice, nice fresh rented tux and everything. So, you know, it was ways like that he cared, but he, 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 was, he was tough on me. I mean, I had to keep up on my chores and all this other stuff. Um, and I had an older brother and he kind of wasn't as tough on him as he was on me. So I think those just those kind of those things like, you know, I would, I was like, why, why not treat us all the same? And, it, and that's how I felt at the time as a, as a kid. I was like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm being singled out here, looking out for my little brothers and sisters. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm in high school. You know, I want to, I want to go out, have fun with my friends, go to the mall, and all this type of stuff. And even when I did go out and stuff, I might, I might forget to take out the trash when I go out. Then I come back and yell, yell in my face, you know, be like, oh, why don't you take out the trash? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I'm, I'm 15, man. I, I want to go see, you know, the movie, the new, the new Jet Li movie or whatnot. I'm trying to go to the mall, going to Evergreen Plaza. I'm trying to get my Mac. Jet Li and the Leah movie. That was out yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. See, 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 fine ass Lee in the movie back in the day. So that's that's what I was on. But so, it, 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 it was challenging. It's it's it was challenging back then. Cause yeah, I I didn't like him, but. As I got older, um, you know, he busts his ass. He, he works every day, seven days a week, uh, even to this day. And when the pandemic started, he was he was going to work and he wasn't wearing PPE and stuff like that. And I'm like, hey, you know, you ain't you, you ain't in your 30s anymore, man. You're pushing 60, man. So you, you gotta, you know, you, this the COVID to get you before it gets me, man. So you gotta, yeah. you know, my mom and him finally convinced him he started wearing his mask and stuff like that. Cause I'm like, look. And he finally got the vaccine too, so um, happy for that. My mom did too, so uh, they were they were hesitant. And I was like, "Look here, COVID will kill you before you know the vaccine will." But they had to catch COVID a couple times before they you know finally was like, "Ah." And I'm still kind of in in a, in a recovery phase myself because I got the, the booster shot, so I was pretty under the weather. Still got a bit of a uh, headache right now, but ibuprofen is a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, what was that experience like when you, um, I know that you said that you reconnected with your biological family. So uh, what was that experience like? Can you talk about that? It was, um, yeah, I, I guess the best way to describe it kind of was like Antoine Fisher. Uh, because it's been, it was so long since I saw them all. Um, like, I reconnected when I was 22. The last time I really saw them was when I was 11 years old. So it had been 11 years. And when you're that young, that's that's almost a lifetime. So it was kind of reconnecting with some folks I grew up with, people I grew up with, but they're they're older, grown now, stuff like that. And for the most part, some things connected just fine with my, with my, with my, with my older nieces and nephews, you know, we, we picked up where we left off from talking, talking, talking shit to each other, uh, hanging out. 
now now we can go to the club because we've grown and stuff like that. <laughs> I think the hardest person to reconnect with um, always my oldest biological sister and my um, biological mother. Um, my biological father, it wasn't too hard um, because I, I really hadn't had much contact with him. And it's kind of mm-hmm. crazy because I wear his name. I mean, I have his name. His name is Lornette. It's just uh, Lornette B. Senior. I was Lornette B. Junior before I got adopted. So, and <laughs> yeah, he, he, from what I know, he was a, a double OG, triple OG on West Side of Chicago, from what my sister tells me. Uh, he, he, he was, you know, they called him General Blue and everything like that. So, um, I had a very different life trajectory uh, when I was adopted. I had a grandma named Lula Jean Patton, and she was an old school grandma. Uh, one of the you know, older ladies that, you know, the game boys come around, and they, no matter how big and tough you are, you're taking off your hat, you're saying yes, man, no man to her. Yeah. And, uh, and if you don't, she might handle you. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I talk about she might handle you. Because my mom told me about some of her younger days when she wasn't saved and sanctified. So chasing grand, grandpa down the street with a, with a meat cleaver. So, and having that pistol in a purse. So <laughs> my grandma was a, the biggest gangster I knew. So I was like, I can't join no gang. My grandma killed me. So I, I didn't get involved a, into the street life. Your dad was a triple OG. Your grandma was a quadruple OG. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so when I reconnected with him, you know, we, we talked and, you know, he, he just, you know, Hey, you know, it's nice to, you know, see you again, son and all this. But I saw my uh, sister Lynette, who you know is a, I guess <sighs> he had her before he had me, so she's my older sister also. But we don't share the same mother; we share the same father. And she spent a lifetime trying to reconnect with him, and she's just always been disappointed, even even in her forties, just kind of trying to reconnect with them, and just kind of being constantly disappointed. And I don't want to set myself up for that, so I was like, you know, he wasn't trying to be in my life. Um, I'm not going to try to force a relationship. And, and it was just that. Well, my biological mother was a bit tougher um, because she, she was always around. Um, despite her having some, some mental health challenges and realized as an adult, that was the reason why I ended up in foster care. But she did have moments of clarity. And I, I asked her about like, hey, you know, I had to be in foster homes. It wasn't, it wasn't the best. I mean, I think that mirrored my reasons why I didn't want to have kids. Um, it wasn't because I didn't think I'd be a good father or I wouldn't be able to provide for them, but life happens. And unfortunately, something could happen to me. Now, that's just, that's just the reality. Um, I could get in a car accident. I could die. I could become permanently injured, um, become a vegetable. Who, who knows? Um, this is all hypothetical. I mean, that stuff could happen now. Mm-hmm. And I had uncles and aunties too on the biological side and none of them took me in uh, i ended up in foster care and you know i ended up adopted so i, I was very fortunate especially to be a 12 year old black boy getting adopted that that's it's not really the case people want the little babies they want the little little kids they want little little kids not not 12 year olds by that age they, they you damn they're grown you you need to get a job <laughs> so i i got i get real lucky in that that respect but um kind of it, it wasn't easy. It was not, it wasn't a, a pleasant childhood experience. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want any child to go through that. Um, and it's not to say that there aren't good foster homes out there and, and good people, but um, I experienced really good fault. I spent really good foster homes, but I also experienced uh, 
pretty terrible foster homes and the, the shelters that they have the, the kids in or group homes, whatever you want to call them when I was a kid. Uh, those are some of my earliest memories and they're not fond memories either. So it, it shaped my opinion. So when I reconnected with my biological family and I sat down with my mom to talk to her about my past, she kind of was like, hey, you know, I had to do what I had to do. And, you know, my sisters were kind of making excuses. Oh, you know, our mom, you know, she's not, she's not all there. She, you know, she has a struggle. She has schizophrenia. So but I'm like, look, she said that with a clear mind, <laughs> very lucid in that, that moment. She just said she had to do what she had to do. And she had me when she was 30. So it wasn't like she was a teenage mom or she was, she was a grown woman. Uh, she's exactly 30 years older than me. So um, when I turn 39 next July, she'll be, um, she'll be, uh, yeah, 69. So um, that, that was tough. Um, and it kind of uh, shaped our relationship from there. So I wish I could have a better relationship with her. Um, but I, I, I kind of always come back to that conversation. So. So like how many siblings do you have all together? Eight sisters, three brothers, if I combine both families. Okay, so it's 12 of you all? Yeah, but it's, it's two different, biological and adopted. So but I just consider them all, I just consider them both family so oh, okay okay it was complicated when my wife came around she's like hey, how many how many people you know <laughs> how many all these people in your damn family man you know her, her family is you know arkansas and they're a bit more reserved and both my families are uh from chicago or chicago adjacent so they're loud we roasting each other it's, it's shit talking um all all this type of stuff everybody you know from the oldest down to the youngest um so she's like there's a lot of people there's a lot <laughs> she she's more like you know have a quiet evening and chill and relax watch a movie or something have a cider and any even her even her family's like that there's drama in her family it's drama in everybody's family but yeah. her, her family moves a little different they're, they're family introverts I, I get extroverted outgoing loud family both of them <laughs> they like they like to drink and get their party on how long have you been married now Five years, almost. What would you say you've uh, learned from yourself since you've uh, been a married man? I think it's like marriage isn't just the final destination, like getting married. Because I think single people or people who are looking to get married think like, oh, once you get married, that's it. Everything's good from there. And it's, it's fucking not. It's not at all. Uh, it's a constant negotiation and and struggle you gotta and, and and there's good time and there's gonna be good days and there's gonna be bad days and there's gonna be days where like you know so-and-so's getting on my nerves i can't stand them and, and vice versa it's one days I, I love this person so much but it's a constant negotiation and reevaluating things like where you are in life where you're at in your career where you're at with finances um fixing up the house building a life together um so I, I know people just kind of see it at destination. She's a nice big wedding day and dress and, and the, the pomp and circumstances. But you know, that's that's the that's the fun part of it. <laughs> well, unless you're paying for all that, then that's not so fun. But <laughs> but that's the that's the that's the easy part, you know, the wedding day and all that stuff. It's, it's the work that comes after that. Um
and I, I had to learn a lot about kind of what my expectations was too. Um, how do I become a better husband and not screw up? And if I do screw up, you know, kind of get myself thrown to forgive myself, but also um, try not to, you know, hurt my wife. Um, and that's never easy because, you know, sometimes you get mad and you might say something or you might do something unintentionally that, you know, might make them upset or you might forget something. What do you feel like you've learned from your, um, well, I guess your biological father and your uh, adoptive father about being a husband, either directly or indirectly? Well, I say indirectly, just kind of uh, being there for, um, being there for your wife, but just being there for your family. Um, even though my, my relationship with my father wasn't always great when I was younger, um, he, he worked every day. He worked hard. Um, he was, you know, and he, he, he supported, supported the family. Um, I got a brother-in-law, same thing, married to my older sister. Today is their 23rd anniversary, 23rd anniversary or yesterday was. Same thing, you know, gets up every day and goes to work. You know, you, and I guess unintentionally I took that from them because my mom always reminds me once I, uh, when I joined the military and I was about to get out, she's like, oh, you come live with me. And she's like, I, she's, she's, she told me this story. I, I forgot the story even happened. She's like, mm-hmm. I, I guess I told her, no, nah, man, don't go live with their mama after they've been on their own. Um, I'll be fine. I'll figure it out. And I guess I did because <laughs> I haven't stayed with my parents since I was 17. So mm-hmm. they're more likely to come stay with me when I get older and, uh, um when and they get older than uh the vice versa but uh i don't know how my wife and mom would get together they lived in the same house my mom loves her but you know the in-laws living with you that could be a different story yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know how i don't know if none either you two are married but you know the the, the in-laws can they always have some issues with the uh with the, with the wife because it's like she ain't She's not good enough for you and all this stuff, but she thinks she this and that. Why you get her? You could have got someone else. I'm like, y'all should be happy. I married a sister. Because <laughs> my nieces and st- my family up in, um, when they moved to Wisconsin, my sister Kathy, my older sister, moved her family to Wisconsin um, after um, I left back when I was 11 and they ended up in Wisconsin. So they grew up in a very much white area. So all the you know, black folks they went around and has my nieces yet over older. One of the things they saw was like all the black dudes dating white girls. And you know, I, I came back in their lives and I was older in my 20s and stuff. I was like, well, you know, y'all go to Chicago, plenty of brothers there. Brothers got their stuff together. You ain't gotta just be in Madison. I can't you? but it, it kind of shades things. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it don't matter who I married, you know, so they would have found some flaw with it. And, and you know, it's it always going to be some conflict with at least one or two of the in-laws. Uh, not, but it's not everybody. Most of the family loves, loves my wife. Um, but I, I, that's another thing I didn't know about when you get married, that, 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 that component right there, the, the, the in-law situation. Luckily, her family has no issue with me. Uh, so that you know of that I know of, you know, they might tell her, you know, like learn, learn it. Who talks that much? <laughs> I say that on Facebook. Right. <laughs> say it to my face. I say that on Facebook. <laughs> right. 
I gotta let you know, man, I'm a, I'm a divorced man myself. Nah, I didn't have any issues with like in-law. It was more between me and her, uh, but um, yeah, the in-laws weren't really a problem. Uh, yeah, recently, uh, her mom just passed recently, so. Oh, wow. uh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, 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 she was, she was great. Like she was, she was real, she was real nice. And, uh, you know, uh, she made a real big impact on me from the time I met her. But um, yeah, I can, I can understand uh, when you get married, you kind of just think about you and your, your spouse, your wife, but you, there's so many other layer, layers to the onion, you know, once you start peeling back. So uh, <laughs> um, what would you say, um, you because you mentioned before that your wife is a, an environmental lawyer, right? So um, how did how did you meet her? Like, how what was your origin story with her? And uh, how did uh, knowing her impact you with your current role? Uh, well, that's a lot. But uh, we met like most millennials, uh, online dating. So, uh, okay, keep it. Uh, what's so funny though is we almost didn't meet. So I used to work at uh, Chicago Public Schools back in 2010, 2000, well, 2011, 2012 in uh, 125 North Clark Street. I don't even think they're at that building anymore, but at the time they were. Uh, and I had started working at someplace else, but they had this place called Argo T. And I was like, our first time, you know, we talked a little bit online and I called her you know, after that, because, you know, you don't want to be talking to someone online for like eight months. I wasn't one. I didn't do online day like that. I ain't going to be, we don't talk forever. Like, I, I won't know if I'm getting catfish. <laughs> we got to meet quick, fast and hurry and meet in a public place. So if you're crazy, I can just, you know, run out the bathroom window and be on my way. Uh, <laughs> but this is not a dating show, so we can't talk about our dating horror stories. That might be for another show. Yeah, part two. But, uh, yeah, part two. <laughs> so uh, I said Argo T, downtown Chicago. And I didn't say the address. I said Argo T because I thought it was the only Argo T. So I'm waiting there. It's like six. We say it's six o'clock. It's like 6.15. I'm like, man, I'm going to have to get stood up. I don't see nobody here. Um, nobody that I would be on a date with. So I was like, oh, all right. So I'm about to leave. And then I get a call. And it's her, my wife. Um, and she's like, hey, um, I kind of don't appreciate this. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, I've been in ROT for like 15 minutes. And I was like, wait, what are you talking about? You've been in ROT for 15, for 15 minutes. I've been in ROT for 15 minutes. So like, you know, you're tripping. She's like, no, I've been in ROT. And that's when I, it quickly hit me because I went to the guy at the counter. I was like, y'all got another location? Like, yeah, we do. We got one on Michigan Avenue. I was like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> Because I was trying to be different. I didn't want to say let's meet at Starbucks because it's like 80 Starbucks downtown Chicago, like in any, every city. So, yeah. but we did end up meeting at Starbucks on Jackson Street at DePaul University. And, and the rest is history. We had coffee and then coffee ended up being drinks and dinner. And then drinks and dinner ended up being the second date, third date. And, and now we met with a house in Atlanta. Uh, so, and how she got me into this work. Well, she actually did get me into this work. So her, she was an environmental law attorney. She was working at a, company, a firm in Chicago, got a, got a great opportunity down here in Atlanta, came to work at this firm. And I took a leap of faith and came with her. I had a job in Chicago. I was working for the, a nonprofit organization. Yeah, I love the students I was working with. It was just everything else I wasn't feeling. Um, they were underpaying me, putting, I was putting a lot of work. I mean, I had turned down, you know, weekends were, you know, working on weekends turning down dates, uh, just trying to, you know, be the company man. I was a young professional and just thought that, you know, I just had to push and go and like set an example for the students. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to know your worth. So I threw deuces 
came down to Georgia on a leap of faith. And that was the first time I was living together. So that was a whole experience of, you know, kind of living with your boo uh, versus kind of just having your own space. And, you know, y'all come together when y'all come together, but you can go your own step away. Um, and when I got down here, I was trying to get back into education because that's what I did prior to working with veterans was working in education. So like I said earlier, I worked for Chicago Public Schools. Then I worked for this nonprofit that was an educational program for young adults aged 18 to 24. And I had done that for about since I've been out of grad school, when I, when I got out of the University of Chicago for my social work degree, I've been doing that. So I was trying to get into jobs like that down here in Atlanta and just wasn't having any luck. And she suggested, um, you know, learning, why don't you look at some environmental organizations? They really looking to hire veterans. And I was like, they don't want no, they don't want to deal with no dumbass veterans. You talk, you crazy girl, talking about. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, two months turned to three months, three months turned to uh, four months and still no luck. I'm applying for jobs every day. Um, I'm lucky to live in Atlanta. You know, it's nice. So I can get to go on walks outside. We had lived in an apartment complex, had a little pool. So, you know, that was, that was cool, but it was kind of like, I'm not working. I ain't got no you know, money. Uh, money's tight. Uh, she's supporting both of us. I'm kind of like, you know, feeling the pressure, not from her, but just kind of like myself being like, man, I, I, I ain't, I ain't trying to live off, you know, my girl and nothing like that. I ain't that type of dude. Uh, I have my own stuff. So, about, you know, five months, no luck with the job market. You know, I, I finally thought about what you told me. And I was like, all right, let me look. And Sierra Club was hiring for a military outdoors coordinator, submitted my application, interviewed, and got the job. So the moral of that story is uh, all the all the husbands out there, uh, listen to your wife on the first go-round. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have just listened in the beginning. But, you know, you live and you learn. So you, um, you say your wife is from Arkansas? Yep. Okay. And she was, um, she was working at a firm in Chicago. Um, and that's how she got to Chicago. Or like, was she in Chicago before um, she started working there? Uh, no, she was, she went, she got a law degree from University of Iowa. She had spent some many years out there in Iowa because she was also, before they, she got a law degree, she was getting a PhD in English, but just ended up saying screw that and just got a JD. And she interviewed, she was looking to go back to Philly because she had did an internship there when she was in law school. And it was between Philly and Chicago. And she was kind of like, if I got to stay in the city that's cold, I might as well stay in Chicago. No disrespect to Philly. Philly's nice, but she was just like, hey, I, I want to live in Chicago. So I, I think she made the right choice because if she didn't, we would have never met. Oh, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. And maybe my family reaction, man. No, this is right. <laughs> now you're going to end up with a white girl. Oh. <laughs> so, I, I like I, I like Malcolm X and, and the Black Panthers, so I don't know if I, I don't know who, what white girl I've been to end up with. She would have had to be down. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been like the guy on uh, uh, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. No, 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 I flirted with I flirted with Hotepness when I was in my early twenties, but then when I went out, when I realized those brothers was like day more white girls than than a little bit, I was like, you know, y'all some hypocrites. And then they would be like, you know, I'm just trying to do what the white man did that one, fuck them. So I was like, man, that's kind of that's misogynistic and kind of fucked up. So I'm just I, I had to cool on that. So I was like, look, I like all women, you know, well, no matter they they gotta be cool, but. You know, the Midwest, 
if, if you're dating up there, um, if, especially if you're dating interracially, um, you have to deal with people's kind of racism. I mean, I think it's funny when like it's black people who date like other colored people and they be racist. Cause I'm like, you know, these white people don't like y'all either. <laughs> Cause I got a homeboy in who I, my homeboy from the Navy, he, he married a Mexican lady up in California. Um, and they've been together for damn near 20, they 20 plus years. And he took him years to earn, earn, you know, to get good with the, her family. And I'm just like, you know, white people don't like y'all either. So I don't know how y'all come here thinking y'all better than us. Yeah, that's, that's wild. Yeah. So uh, walk me through a day in the life of uh, uh, what's your role with helping uh, veterans outdoors. Like, what do you guys do? Uh, uh, well, we do lots of stuff. So, yeah. but one of our main goals is just kind of do um, outdoor um, outdoor adventures. And so I've done events where we're on a river for like three days to a week. Um, I've done events where we're just kind of walking on the Atlanta Beltline. Just in the Beltline is just an outdoor space, green space in Atlanta. They took some old, they took air, or, or railroad tracks that are no longer being used in the city, paved over them, and turned them to like an open walking space. And there's like businesses in, 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 in neighborhoods along the Beltline and like art and stuff like that. And it connects throughout the city. So I've done things like that. We've done day hikes to Stone Mountain, Georgia day hikes up in uh, Sweetwater Creek Park. Um, I've been out out west to those rivers, the Green River and Utah. Um, it just kind of, or or out here in the, on, in the East Coast, on the Southeast, the Chichuga River, where they film that movie Deliverance. <laughs> I would never, I don't watch that movie if you're about to go on a river trip, because <laughs> you're like, I ain't going. <laughs> it ain't like that, I promise you. That That's a movie, and it was like in the 70s, so that's a, a long time ago. It was a time pass. Time pass, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, I hope it's a time. I've been out that way, so ain't nothing like that happened to me. So, um, <laughs> but everybody's different. So just be careful, be weary. But that's kind of what we do. And what our program does is we train the veterans to be outdoor leaders. So the, the vets themselves um, can lead whatever type of trips they want to. So if they want to go fly fishing, regular fishing, they want to go hike up a mountain they can do that they just want to kind of meet, meet meet up and do yoga in the park they could do that too so it's a it's kind of depends on what the volunteers want i, I just led all type of trips so um i've been skiing whitewater rafting probably gonna go ice climbing this winter um we did dog sledding snowshoeing I mean, so I, it sounds like if uh if and when you ever have kids man you're gonna have like a lot of uh things to do like a lot of daddy daughter or uh all the sun type trips or experience yeah yeah we will go to all the uh, national parks or something like that yeah just just uh, if you do go to the national parks you know don't get too close to them um those buffalo uh they they're not nice <laughs> hmm. they'll mow you down and uh and i think the biggest animal i've seen in, in this ever in real life was a, a damn moose because we were in um Wyoming, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And I was in a lift. It was a it was a it was an escalate, an escalate lift. Because it was like a whole group of us. And I looked on the side of the window and there's a moose right there. And the moose is bigger than the damn escalate. Mm. So that's that's not an animal you want to see. <laughs> yeah, I, I lucky like I was in that car. I was like, we need to drive off. This thing is huge. 
They had the big <laughs> antlers and everything. Like yeah, uh, it was a male moose. Yeah. The thing was huge. <laughs> yeah, like um, I guess the rack or whatever, like the antlers can um be like ten feet across. Have you heard that? Or eight feet or something like that? Oh, they 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 something across the thing. The animal was huge. It wasn't. It wasn't small by any means of the imagination. Uh, was it like seeing a dinosaur or something? Nah, it, it's a moose. It's just like seeing. It's <laughs> like seeing. It's like a big ass super super deer or something like that. I mean, they only look like deer. They got their weird face. I don't know. I don't know how you compare it. I don't know. It was almost like an elephant, but not. They put the deer in the Captain America machine, then the moose came out. Something like exactly. That. It's like a mutant. It's like a mutant super deer or something like that. And they also mean too. They'll fuck you up too. And I'm like, this thing just walking to town, this big ass thing. Now Atlanta's kind of country. Now we we do have every every blue moon in this city, there's always a, a herd of goats that gets gets out. Because people down here will will hire, they got companies that will, if you don't want to cut your little your yard, if it's fenced in, you can you can bring a herd of goats and they'll eat eat your yard, meaning they'll eat your eat your yard and like trim it for you. And also we got this um, invasive species called Kezi and that grows over everything. So they bring the, you can bring in the um, thing of uh, the herd of goats and they'll eat everything. But every now and then people's fences aren't secure. So the goats will just get out and you'll just have goats running through the city. Mm. Like, <laughs> like a Tony Baker video or something. Look at who you came to. <laughs> we the ghosts so that So that was the most country shit I saw when I came down to Georgia. And then I went on one of our outdoor trips and then it was, it was a, a camp that was run by this army veteran named Greg. And uh, he had shot a rattlesnake because it was about to get his dogs. And uh, he was like, we ain't gonna let this rattlesnake go to waste. So they cooked it. So that's probably the most Southern thing I've ever done is eat some rattlesnake. Tastes like chicken. I don't taste like chicken. It's more like fish or oily like fish. It was interesting to say the least, but he didn't. They cooked the goddamn rattlesnake. I mean, it must have been a big one too, because it was a pretty big, uh, big piece on the on the grill. So I was like, "This is the most probably the most southern thing I ever did." He did a low country boil, and then on the side of that, he had some um, had a had a snake rattlesnake. How do you season a snake? You use like salt and pepper, kosher salt. I you barbecue it just like you barbecue everything else. <laughs> I'm yeah. not gonna argue with the locals. <laughs> uh, uh I know we're getting close to time, and I have uh, one one more question for you. Um, if you can go back to your like 18, 19 year old self, I know you you talked about the generation gap. Uh, well, the the way that the generations view each other, like what type of advice would you give uh, yourself, your 18 year old self? Um, I would tell my 18 year old self not to doubt, doubt, not to doubt yourself. Um, be confident in who you are. It's kind of crazy to think about it, but you know, at 38 years old, I'm, I'm way more confident than I ever was at 18 and, and sure of myself. And also I'm not afraid to learn something or make a mistake where when I was at that age, you know, you don't want to look bad in front of people and your peers and all that. And you think that matters, but when you get older, you realize that it doesn't really matter uh so just be yourself you know try to fit in and, and and just be yourself 
and, and be confident in who you are. So don't doubt yourself. Second guess yourself. Very good stuff, so, man. Good stuff. And uh, my last question for you, uh, Lynette, um, I already kind of asked already. You uh, gave me a real good answer, uh, and I'll read it to you. It was, uh, what does fatherhood mean to you? And uh, Lynette, you said, fatherhood means taking care of your responsibility and raising your children to be their own person. A good father is there uh, for, their for their family and tries to set a good example. A good father can admit to their mistake, mistakes and failures, show their children uh, that uh, that's a time in life when you grow the most. Uh, so can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, I, I got, so fortunately, I'm not, I'm not a father myself yet, but um, I have, obviously has a, has a, an adult. <laughs> I got a lot of friends that are uh, fathers and they're good fathers. Um, and I, I get mad because how the mainstream society, you know, pushes like black men and take care of their kids and all that stuff. And even Obama will come out there and be like, yo, take care of your kids, pull your pants, be a man. You know, it's like, look at Obama, just because your daddy wasn't shit. Don't mean that all the brothers ain't brothers to take care of their kids. So there's a lot of good fathers I know, friends of mine, family members. And I think the best, many advice, you know, I'm not a father, but I think my idea of what a good father is, is someone who just is taking care of their business, but also is not afraid to be vulnerable with the kids. You know, you don't, don't you know, you, your little son hurts himself and they start crying, you don't tell them to man up. Like, you know, they're, they're a kid. They're like, they're like three years old. That They don't know what man up means anyway. And, you know, be a little vulnerable. Um, show, show, you don't have to be the stoic type all the time. I, I'm, I'm thinking those stereotypes are kind of breaking down. Um, so you can tell your kids that you love them you tell them that you care for them. Um, and we, if you got, if, it's, if, a, if, a, if a brother like Dwayne Johnson, who's, you know, 250 pounds of muscle, 6'3", playing tea time with his little daughters, um, you know, you, you're not too manly to not to do that. Um, be there for your daughters, be there for your sons. If your son doesn't want to play football or basketball, that's fine. If he's into like, you know, I want to, I want to be playing video games or I'm into cheerleading you know you might think man that's weird or something or like i want to do karate like you know encourage encourage your kids to explore the options and, and don't 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 be like that i, I regret when um, my nephew was 12 at the time he wants to see disney on ice and i was like now you're 12 why do you want to go see disney on ice and, and i kind of an asshole thing to say is his uncle because that's what he liked you know and you know let a child have, have their childhood I mean, when I was 12, I was still playing with toys too, like the X-Men toys and all that stuff. So, and watch Power Rangers. So who am I to judge if my nephew at 12 years old wanted to watch Disney on ice? And anyway, the lady who they had playing Pocahontas and Cinderella was fine. So I enjoyed that part of the show myself. So <laughs> I, I take that back. So don't encourage your kids to like what they like. Even if your little kid, if your kid grows up and they, they, they growing up, they little kid and they like to watch Chucky movies, just watch the Chucky movies with them, or the Michael Myers movies with them. Don't be like, that's weird. Man. Don't crush your dreams. The world's going to do that enough, unfortunately. Yeah, I tried to get my kids to watch the old Power Rangers, man. They didn't, they, they didn't go, though, man. It was like the graphics yeah. didn't look too good. Oh, like, yeah, like, don't this is don't worry about the graphics, man. The story is great, though, man. To get into the story. It's a good story, man. The White Ranger? Come on, man. <laughs> oh, the Green Ranger. Then he turned to the White Ranger. Ranger. Yeah. yeah the green he Ranger. was bad, yeah. and then he was good. 
Right. All of that shit. The old one taught kids racism from an early age. The Black Ranger was black actually a black guy. <laughs> and then the Yellow Ranger was the Asian girl. I'm like, man, I think about that as, a, as an adult. You're like, man, that was, that was racist. <laughs> right. The Blue Ranger. And the Pink Ranger was a girl. Right. <laughs> well, they, they realized, they, they, they tried to do something different with the new movie that came out. And they, the Black Ranger, the Black Ranger wasn't actually black. And then the black guy on there was kind of nerdy, but he listened to, listened to country music and was a computer scientist. So they, they tried to they tried to redeem themselves. They even had one that was like gay. So I was like, all right, you know, look at look at them evolving with the times. Progressive Power Rangers. Yes, go. progressive Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey Lynette, you ever uh, think about doing comedy or like stand up? Oh well, nah. I mean, I, I never thought about stand up because I always think that's like the hardest job in entertainment because you had to get up on stage and entertain the crowd for the people. And we know how black folks are. If you ain't funny, they'll boo you off the stage, like it's uh, Showtime at the Apollo. But I, I have done some improv in my in my lifetime. I, I, I took classes at IO Theater up in Chicago, then came down here did some village uh, village theater. My wife can't get in, can't get into it. She's just like, this is corny. But that's because my wife is an a hole. But I love her anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let your wife crush your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I just joking. I just joking. But nah, that's all. That's the only type of comedy I, I've done. Improv. Oh, I think you'd be good at it, man. You gotta. You definitely have comedic timing. I could, I could uh, definitely uh, see you on stage somewhere. If you want to do that? Yeah. Maybe that'd be my my second career because um, you know, if we live in America. We ain't gonna be retiring. And, uh, I don't think no social security gonna be left for our asses when we get old. <laughs> and like it's all gone. I'm like damn. Right, gotta get it I'm somewhere. Be a, I'm be a Walmart greeter when I'm 80. Welcome to Walmart. I don't <laughs> like this doing? company. <laughs> Here's your they ain't even enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this has been great, Lynette, man. This is uh, another one of my favorites, man. We on a, a good string of a good episodes, man. Dr. Young, what'd you think, man? Another Hall of Famer? What'd you think, man? Oh yeah, I would say wow. so. so. <laughs> we gonna hang, hang it up in the rappers, man. What, what's, uh, what's your jersey number? If you had a jersey number, what would that number be? You know what I'm saying, man. You know what I'm saying, 23. There you go. <laughs> like Mike. <laughs> uh, like Mike. <laughs> we like LeBron, man. With the, uh, <laughs> you need to let, you need to let that go, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, LeBron. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least Mike really did let his go. So right, right, I, had to, right. I had to let it. I don't want to be walking around here like Stephen A. Smith, so I just I had to shave it off. I thought I can get locks, but it, it ain't going to – in a couple of years, I'm gonna be like one of them brothers that had the lock just around his head, and then it's just like a ball spot up there. Right. I, I didn't want to be like that. So I'm like, one ponytail on the back. Yeah. yeah, be like Stevie Wonder or Hulk Hogan. No, I didn't want to be like that. So I'm like, all right, I, I just gotta, I'm gonna just go ball with the beard. So you know, we we gotta keep up uh, yeah. the voice ball bearded ball club. You know, the there double you B's. You know what I'm saying? There you go. Let's get. You know, my wife say I look basic. Ain't that something? She's like, you look basic. <laughs> I <laughs> thought uh, I can't have all locks and stuff like that, you know, with the beard and stuff like that. You know, my hair ain't working that way. It's... I just get compared to every bald and bearded black guy that that looks like me. Like the Suge Knight comparisons, like I get I get all that, man. So <laughs> comes with the territory, man. 